This is Stimulus. If you see patients for a living and find it's not always so easy doing the job, we get you and we've got your back. My name is Rob Orman. I spent 20 years as an emergency physician and now as a certified coach, I help physicians get unstuck, recalibrate their work-life balance, rediscover the joy in medical practice, and sometimes find new careers and creative outlets. We produce the Stimulus Podcast to give you tools to find more fulfillment in your life and work and do it all with intent. Don't just suck it up. Think differently. And today's show is a primer of sorts. I'm not the speaker. It is a monologue from good friend of the pod, Scott Weingart. Scott and I recently started the Deeper Stimulus Book Club, which is a joint project of Stimulus and Scott's show on Deeper Reflection, thus Deeper Stimulus. And about a month ago, we had our first Deeper Stimulus Book Club with the focus on the book Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. So what we've got now is the basics the setup of nonviolent communication, what it's about, the structure, how to do it. And our next show, which will be our final show of 2021, Scott and I are going to discuss nonviolent communication, how to apply it, some different case scenarios. We're going to bring in some of the things that were brought up in our book club. So today's the basics. The next one is going to be application or, you know, more so just a conversation about the nuance of nonviolent communication. The audio on this episode has also been released on Scott's show on Deeper Reflection. I know a lot of you subscribe to both Stimulus and on Deeper Reflection. So if you've already heard it, there's not going to be anything new for you here. However, maybe you want to hear it again. And yeah, actually, before we get to Scott's audio, speaking of the book club, it's limited to 40 attendees and it filled up in less than a day. So what we decided to do is we're going to do an early release to our mailing list 24 hours before sign up opens to general public. It will probably fill in that time. So if you're not on the mailing list, and especially if you want to be in the book club, I recommend you sign up to get early access to the book club registration. All right, here we go. Scott Weingart, the basics of nonviolent communication. So nonviolent communication, uh, it is one of the most powerful ways of speaking to other people, especially in conflict or uh, in situations where you don't feel your needs are being met. It essentially eliminates useless strategies like judgment and proving yourself right, and instead gives you absolutely tactical techniques to get the things you need for happiness for yourself and your partner in the conversation. And that tactical nature is really the key to why I think this book is so important. Because instead of discussing theories or generalizations, it tells you, say exactly this to be able to communicate in a safe and effective manner so that both people leave the conversation happy and fulfilled. It's not a gimmicky set of stuff. It, it doesn't boil down to like new age guru philosophy like I see a lot of these self-help books do. Instead, it really just gives you the tools to translate philosophies like stoicism, uh, the psychological approaches of cognitive behavioral therapy and cognitive psychology into an actually utile method that you could actually, after reading the book or maybe even listening to this podcast, you could go back to your everyday life and immediately apply. It's, it's really simple, but in that simplicity is an amazing wealth 
of complexity that has been distilled down. It's kind of amazing. Now, if you had to go with one uh, somewhat gimmicky part of it that I think encompasses the whole system, uh, and if you ever listen to Marshall Rosenberg actually speak, you can find like hundreds of his videos on YouTube, you'll see he's holding puppets of a giraffe and a jackal in his hand at all of these workshops and lectures that he does. And that's because he discriminates between two modes of language. Because really, more than a theory or a theoretical framework, uh, NVC, nonviolent communication, is a language. And that's really the key. And so he boils down the system to two modes of speaking. Uh, You could speak giraffe, the language of giraffes, or you could speak the language of jackals. Now, why a giraffe? The giraffe represents the nonviolent way of communicating. And the reason why he chose that animal is uh, it has uh, amongst the largest hearts of land animals, you know, essentially, because you have to pump that blood all the way up that enormous neck. So big hearted, uh, big ears, the giraffe has to listen, doesn't make a sound, Uh, far more listening than speaking. And that's really key. And so when he says you're speaking giraffe, you're using the tenets of nonviolent communication. The antithesis of that is speaking jackal. And jackal is a nice way for mixed audiences of being able to say the language of assholes. And that's really the key is you could just say, ooh, that sounds like jackal language, as opposed to, uh, you know, the more inflammatory ways of expressing that. And jackal language is about judging, criticizing, analyzing, moralizing, accusing, etc. When we feel unfairly treated, or we feel people are imposing their wishes upon us, or we want to impose our wishes on them, we use the language of the jackal. And the jackal language is separating while giraffe language is unifying. The jackal language generally cares about your own interests, your own feelings and thoughts, and not the feelings and thoughts of others. And understand that jackal language could be externally expressed, or you might be speaking to yourself internally. Your inner voice may be the jackal voice, uh, and really shifting to a giraffe voice in that regard may be one of the most important things you could do. Okay, the system itself boils down into essentially two major parts. Or at least then I should put out the proviso. This, this is my interpretation of the system of nonviolent communication. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the true, you know, adamant practitioners may uh, have slightly different visions of this, but this is what I took from this book. And I, I think I've read it like 14 times in addition to all the auxiliary material that went along with it. So I'm fairly familiar with it, but there's, you know, each time I go back, there's been more to learn, which is in essence uh, the mark of any great book in in my opinion. Okay, so the two major parts are a four-component guideline to creating speech, all right? And we'll go through each of the four components. It's, it's not arduous. I mean, it's really, really simple. And in fact, you should be able to do those four components, as I'll mention shortly, in like 30 or 40 words. So we're not talking like lengthy speech creation here. So you have the four-component speech creation, and then you have emergency empathy, and that's essentially it. That's essentially the entire concept of nonviolent communication. And I will explain all of this in detail. All right, I think the easiest way to do this is just list out the four components and then discuss them one by one. So the four components of nonviolent communication are observation, feelings, needs, and requests. And you just go in sequence. Observation, feeling, need, request. And now let me take you through each step. So observation is you point out to your conversational partner 
And, you know, essentially, this is a system of conflict resolution. So if, if you're just discussing daily events in the newspaper, then obviously you wouldn't use this circumscribed method. This is for when you have uh, a feeling, positive or negative, that you want to express. And, you know, I guess I shouldn't say it's just conflict. It's um, the need for an expression of emotion, I guess, is how I best contextualize when you'd slip into the system. Because as you'll see, it's a very effective system for affecting positive emotion to another person as well. Okay, so observation without evaluation is the key to this component. And what that essentially means is you have something that has occurred, positive or negative. Let's, you know what, let's just stick with negative for now, and then we'll get into positive. Let's just stick with negative. You observe something negative in the person you're speaking with in terms of events. Something happened that did not go exactly as you would like. The first thing to say is a direct observation of the events that took place. Now, the key to this is events, not your thoughts about the events, not a judgment about the events, simply the objective reality. And you are forced to go with a specific observation, not a generalization, not a discussion of the past, not a you always or every time. No, just right now, I observed X, not you're the most inconsiderate person in the world. You have been late every single time we've ever met up and you did it again today. That is not observation without evaluation. Uh, you are judging them with the inconsideration. You're bringing up the past. So the observation that is being spoken about here is you came to lunch 20 minutes late today. That's unambiguous. No one could argue with that. I mean, if that did indeed happen, there's no judgment. There's no capability of dispute because you're not inserting other things except for a clean cut observation of objective reality. And it's specific and it's now and it's not discussing all the other times the person you're speaking to has been late. So you came to lunch 20 minutes late today when we were supposed to meet up at four o'clock. Now, uh, Krishnamurti has said, observing without evaluating is the highest form of human intelligence because it's so damn hard. It is not easy to do this. It's not easy to train yourself to simply observe without judgment, without putting your own feelings embedded into the observation. Um, one of my favorite quotes is actually by Shakespeare in Hamlet. There's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Now, the key to this is to separate out our feelings from observed reality, separate out our perceived uh, motives of the other person from objective reality, simply objective reality. And so that's part one, is observation without evaluation. Part two is the emotion that is associated with that observation. Now I say associated very carefully because maybe one of the most important parts of nonviolent communication is the understanding that people cannot cause feelings in you. Only you are responsible for your feelings. Only you take responsibility for your feelings. I cannot stress this enough. This is the key to cognitive behavioral therapy or one of the real uh, essential parts of uh, what is, I think, the most evidence-based form of psychological therapy. You are responsible for your own feelings. Now, there may be things that happen 
that are associated with that. But you cannot blame those feelings on the other person. They are entirely yours and you are the only one that owns them. So no one can make you angry. No one can make you scream. Even if they did the most inflammatory uh, actions you could ever imagine, you still own those feelings. Now, the other part of this that's so essential, that's so magical, is to understand what feelings are. And uh, you'd say, well, I know know what feelings are. Um, Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Because feelings in this system and in, in cognitive behavioral therapy, feelings are actual emotions separated out from your judgments of the other person or uh, the things that are pseudo-feelings, things that are really thinking disguised as feelings. Now, what do I mean by that? A feeling is an emotional state in your body. It's uh, essentially everything I've seen now from the cog psych world is that emotions are simply our body's desire for homeostasis and safety. Um, And so feelings are things like anger, sadness, joy. I mean, essentially, you could boil down feelings to I feel bad and I feel good, and you'd be 99% of the way there. What you cannot do is, as I mentioned, go with pseudo feelings. For instance, what's a pseudo feeling? Uh, Resentment is a pseudo feeling because resentment requires you to assign motives to the other person. Uh, You make me feel unimportant is not really a feeling because you have to assign motives and judgment to another person. I feel ignored is not a feeling because it requires another person and for you to guess what they are doing, what their intent is. So uh, one way of thinking about this is if you could feel it on a desert island, it's a real feeling. If there needs to be other people around you, then it is not a real feeling. So I have a whole list in the show notes for this episode about things that are pseudo feelings. The other thing that we think uh, when you're unexperienced with this uh, type of thinking is a feeling is really a motivation to another person uh, that that you don't get entitled to. Uh, when you talk to someone uh, new to the system, they'll say, uh, you know, you ignored me. And you'll be like, well... No, no, I didn't. And they're like, it doesn't matter what you say. That's how I felt. And my feelings are valid. And we've given this uh, pedestal to feelings. And we should, because you're entitled to whatever feelings you want, as long as they are actually feelings. So if you follow what you think is a feeling by someone's name or a pronoun for them, then it's not a feeling. I feel that John did X is not a feeling. That's a thought. Uh, If it's followed by a that a like, or an as if. So I feel that you are mean. I feel like you were inconsiderate. Those are not feelings. So there you go. If you follow it by the person's name or a pronoun, it's not a feeling because it has to be within you. If you follow it by uh, that, like, or as if, they're not feelings. And if you could replace uh, I feel with I think in whatever you think you're feeling, then it's no longer a feeling. So feelings really are a... Uh, a circumscribed internal state that cannot involve the other person. And like I had mentioned earlier, and I will come back to it, you need to disconnect your feelings from those observations. They relate, but they are not caused by because only we are responsible. So the phraseology is when I observed X, I 
felt why, or I feel why, not when I observed X, you caused me to feel why. So, so not when you were 20 minutes late for lunch, you made me feel so hurt and sad and ignored. That's not a good formation. It's instead when I noticed you were 20 minutes late for lunch, I felt sad. That is the proper formulation of those two because you are separating out your feelings from the observations. The observations are related to it. They, they One followed the other, but you are taking responsibility for it. The next part are your needs. Now, the needs are really deep-seated things that every human being has to have. And uh, I have an entire chart from the book there, um, but just some of the things that are actual needs are autonomy, to be heard, um, integrity, you know, to retain authenticity, uh, a feeling of creativity, a feeling of acceptance, a feeling of reassurance, uh, a feeling of fun, laughter, safety. I mean, at, at its deepest essence, food, air, water, um, feelings of peace, order. Uh, there, there's a whole list. Um, but one of the most important ones, the ones that I think gets ignored to the detriment of most communications is people have a need to be heard. In fact, if you had to boil down so many conflicts, it's simply that people have the need to be heard. And so this next part feeds from the first part, observation, second part, feeling, to the need that is not being met that has led to uh, an undesirable feeling, an undesirable emotion. And uh, the two are intimately connected, feelings and needs are intimately connected. And so to bring it back to the example, when you showed up, wow, you see that? You see what I did there? Showed up. It, it, it has some judgment entailed in it. So when you came 20 minutes late to lunch, I felt sad because I need to feel respected in relationships I have with people. Okay, so now what we've had is an observation, a objective specific behavior the feeling that followed from it, not caused by it, and then the need that's causing that feeling. I felt sad because I felt I wasn't being respected. And now the fourth and final part is you make a request. You need to follow feelings and needs with a request, a request to change the behavior of the person so that your feelings and needs are met on the next time. But it's key that that request is very specific, not some broad sweeping. Uh, I'd like you never to be late again is not going to work out. Um, so something specific, something doable that's expressed in positive language, like not please don't be late, but instead please come on time or call if you can't. Um, so positive language. And then this is the real crux. Your request needs to be optional. You cannot make a request and then get angry at the person if they say no. It, you have to put the request out there with the understanding that it is completely up to the other person whether or not they will accede to that request or try to accede to that request. Now, this is so key because the uh, real backbone of nonviolent communication is everyone should only agree to things that they are completely happy with that they completely want to do, not because they're feeling forced or cajoled or blackmailed, but instead because they genuinely care about the other person and want to make them happy. And so 
if the person you're speaking with refuses the request and they also are communicating in giraffe, then the idea is that they will tell you the need that's not being met for them by your request and then make a counter request that takes in their needs and the needs you just expressed. And now if you don't want to accede to their counter request, that is also absolutely fine. But you're now obliged to make a third request that takes into account both of the things that have been just expressed and and ad infinitum until you get a request that everyone could be completely happy with. You can never actually make anyone do anything. And you might think that you are, but it will always come back and, and hurt you because we retain at all times our freedom to do anything we want. Now, we might not like the consequences and therefore decide on something that's not desirable, but in essence, we cannot be made to do anything. Now, the requests don't have to be big. In fact, since you are always obliged to give a request to every interaction in nonviolent communication, the request could be something as simple as, uh, would you mind repeating back what you just heard me say? Because I want to make sure that there's not any misunderstandings. And so that's your request. And so you've requested now that the person simply uh, paraphrase what you just said to them. Or the request could be, I'd love to know what you feel about that. The request could be, I'd love to know what you think about that. Um, but there needs to be something you're asking of the other person. And that gives them the capability of moving to the next interaction. Now, the best way to phrase the request is, would you be willing? Now, let's, let's bring this down to a really logistical level. The four parts should be incredibly rapid, not an extensive, you know, going on for four minutes. Now, no one could take that. They're going to tune out. They're not going to listen to you. Uh, essentially, it's 40 words or less. 40 words or less. Uh, you, you should be the laconic scout of, you know, iconic science fiction and fantasy. Um, so 40 words or less. Think about that. That means you have to boil down everything. It means the observation cannot be, you know, multiple paragraphs worth of observation. It has to be one sentence if you're going to get everything in in 40 words. Um, and so the formulation is, when I see that or when I observed X, I felt Y because Z need was not being met. Would you be willing to do A? All right. So think about that, 40 words. So you make an observation, one sentence. You express a feeling in one or two words. And at the speed of light, you move from the feeling to a need that's not being met. Three, four words. And then a request. Here's where you get one or two sentences. 40 words, four parts. All right? So think about that. And what this does is it takes out all of the conversational stopping points, like the fact that the person feels judged, that they feel uh, maligned, that they feel something uh, untrue is being said in terms of the observations, which will stop any conversation dead. They'll say, oh, no, no, I, you know, the, the classic one mentioned in the book, it's so good, is uh, you never listen to me. Well, that's not a specific observation because A, you're judging their motives. You don't know if they're listening or not. B, it's a sweeping generalization. You think they're really going to hear you at that point? Absolutely not. They're just going to say, I do too listen to you. Um, so, you know, a specific observation would be while I was just speaking to you, I saw you were looking down at your phone. Well, that's unambiguous. <laughs> you know, they can't argue. They were looking down on their phone. And so that will allow you to move forward. Now, if you say it with judgment, you know, you don't give a crap about me and that's why you're staring at your phone, then well, obviously it's going to derail the entire conversation. So there you go. Those are the four parts. Now, 
I add in two more parts when I actually discuss this. And uh, the reason why is it incorporates big emotions that will keep you from being able to use the four parts. And now, this is mentioned in Rosenberg's book um, in the anger section. But I think any strong emotion, it's worthwhile going with this. And now, since I'm trying to teach it to my son, I actually added kinesthetics to it. So there's hand gestures. So the six parts in my world are stop. And this is uh, alluding to the space between stimulus and response that you'll hear Viktor Frankl talk about, a key to Stoic philosophy, key to CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is to separate out the stimulus and the response. And in that space, a space that meditation could grant you, but you could actually get there without as well, is when you will shift yourself from jackal mode to giraffe mode. Um, This is stopping the amygdala hijack. There's a part of your brain that beats in during the fight and flight response that will lead to reflexive heuristic uh, conversational gambits that will not help you at all. So stop. And the second part is to breathe. And that's because this is the only real connection we have to the autonomic nervous system that we can put under uh, volitional control. And this will slow down this fight or flight response and actually give you that space to consider what you're saying. Now, uh, NVC, nonviolent communication, is a slow process. You should never be uh, rapid fire Speaking, you should really be doing careful consideration, system two level communication, so that you really plan out each of the four parts. So breathing allows you to do that. And so you stop, you breathe, and then observation, feelings, needs, request. All right. So now the actual kinesthetic thing I add is a stop palm, right? Like you hold the palm out to stop, but you don't hold it out to the other person. You hold it out to yourself. Because that's who you have to stop, not them. You stop yourself. So you hold up the palm of stop, all right? Then breathe. Take your palm, face it to the ground, and move it up and down slowly with your breath, all right? Now, observation. Put up a uh, okay sign to your eye and actually observe, all right? Then feelings. So put your hand over your heart. It's where your feelings are coming from, at least with poetic license. Then the needs, that's thinking. Point to your brain, right? Point to your skull. And then your request. Hold your hand with the palm facing the ceiling in front of your mouth. It's a request. Your hand to mouth. You're you're asking for something. So that is the kinesthetic way I teach my son because these hand gestures I find really help break down the various parts. Okay, so that was the four components Let's talk about the second major part of the system, which is emergency empathy. Because if the person you're talking to has not been trained in nonviolent communication and they're communicating in giraffe and you try to communicate nonviolently, uh, they're just going to think it's a bunch of crap and they're not going to listen. They're not in the space to listen yet. So whenever you find your interlocutor is not in the space to listen... Uh, and the more emotionally immature they are, the less likely they're going to be, is you cannot get your points across. You cannot get your feelings uh, and needs and requests across until they're actually open to listen. And the way you get there is by emergency empathy, all right, and empathetic listening. Now, uh, the first person you need to give emergency empathy is to is always yourself. And if you find that you are not in the space where you could regard the other person and actually be there for their feelings and needs, then you should just walk away from the situation for a little while and come back. So you give emergency empathy to yourself first. Then you're ready to actually be the truly evolved communicator who is willing to take a lot of badness from the other person because what you are 
thinking, what you're actually uh, keeping in mind during this entire experience is that they're only trying to express their feelings and needs. They're just really bad at it. They haven't trained in giraffe language. So um, that's how you have to translate. And this is very much akin to uh, the cognitive behavioral technique of when someone cuts you off in traffic and you're predisposed to road rage, the move is to say, that person in front of me is probably racing to the emergency department because they just got a call that their daughter was hit in a car accident, right? And as soon as you do that, it reframes the entire thing. Well, that's what you're doing for this person you're giving emergency empathy to is instead of saying this person's a real asshole, or I should say a real jackal, um, you should just say this person's really emotionally immature in expressing their feelings and needs. And in essence, that's absolutely what it is. Um, Because that's all there is in any form of expression that we give to another person is an expression of feelings and expressions of needs. So either they're doing it well or they're doing it badly, but that's what they're trying to say to you. So... The way you do this is you actually will ask them, are you feeling X because you need Y? And the key, the beauty, the magic of this is it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It doesn't matter if you get the question you ask them right or wrong. Try to uh, come as close as possible using empathy and mirroring. But if you get it completely wrong, they will still sense that you're trying to understand them rather than getting your own point across. And they'll say, oh, no, I don't feel angry. I feel uh, X. You know, I feel uh, sad. Okay, great. And and they say, okay, you feel sad because why? Because you need why? And they'll say, no, no, it's because I need this. Okay, it doesn't matter. If you just are willing to listen to them, then it changes the entire dynamic of the conversation. And you keep giving them emergency empathy. You keep uh, mirroring and asking, okay, are you now feeling this because you need that? And is there anything else more you want to say about it until... And it's palpable. They're actually ready to listen. When they've, uh, you know, spent their their steam, they've gotten it all out, they will be in a state of openness to potentially listening to you if you communicate back to them nonviolently. Now, the other things I found that are really beneficial uh, to emergency empathy, and this, you know, is evocative of Chris Voss's negotiation book, is uh, paraphrasing, repeating back, uh, taking the last part of what they said and just asking them, uh, you know, just saying back those words to them in a slightly different way. You can even say it in the exact same way. People don't realize it when they're really angry that you're actually just perfectly parroting their words, but it's nice if you could just change it uh, slightly. So, you know, the example given uh, in the show notes is uh, your, your kid tells you, I hate school and say, school's pretty tough right now. Now they may say, no, no, it's not that it's tough. It's that it's blank, but you know, you're just giving them the ability to continue their thought. And now when you get to the point where you have enough understanding or you think you do, uh, you could say, are you feeling sad because you need your classes to spark excitement in you uh, or, you know, anything you want, it doesn't matter. Uh, because they'll, they'll correct you as long as you're giving them the space to feel that they're being understood. Okay, so, you know, it, it takes a while to get to the point where you can give people emergency empathy um, because the four levels of response evolution in the book are uh, level one, you blame yourself for all the problems, and that's obviously no good. Uh, the next level is you blame the other person, and that might be a slight evolution, um, but not much. Then the next one is that you yourself communicate nonviolently. In all your communications, you are doing it in a nonviolent fashion. And now the fourth and toughest level to get to is that you start caring for the emotions and needs of the other person. You're actually putting yourself aside temporarily because they don't have the skills. Now, you don't let ever your needs get unmet. 
You don't sacrifice your needs for theirs. You make sure you're encompassing both of them in your interaction. But you're evolved enough to actually, instead of getting inflamed by the negativity or truly evil speech being expressed to you, you just realize these people are not trained. They're not knowledgeable on how to communicate. And you just translate for them their feelings and needs. That's emergency empathy, and that's the highest level. And obviously, you're not going to be able to stay at that fourth level all the time, but the more you do this, the better you get. Okay, Um, some further ideas. Uh, Rosenberg feels that just as bad as negative speech is badly done positive speech, that compliments are actually a, a judgment. And even though it's a positive judgment, it's it's not good because you're you're evaluating the person not by uh, their actual specific actions, but by some broad based uh, generalization. Now, this is very evocative of the growth mindset by Dweck. You never say you're a smart kid. You say I was really impressed by how much you studied for that test. Right? You know, this is the essence of growth mindset. So he uses the same evaluation um, methods for. Uh, giving compliments and for uh, evaluations at work. You know, if you have uh, someone who you're training and you want to give them an evaluation, it's all the same thing. I observed X, an observation of a specific behavior. It made me feel, I'm, uh, well, that actually is not it. You're not supposed to say it made me, though on the positive side, it's a lot better to do that, but don't. Uh, when I saw you do X, I felt. So, right? So when I saw the way you handled that difficult patient, I felt happy. Because, and then you give your, the need that was being met. Uh, because I, I wanted to know that you'd be able to deal with uh, the emotional baggage of that patient. And then the request is simply that, you know, you want to share it with them. So uh, essentially it comes down to observation of specific actions, feelings are the key part of that. You could add in the needs and requests, but it's not really essential. It's really just observations and feelings. When I saw blank, I felt boom, right? So when I saw the way you handled that patient, I felt proud or I felt happy or I felt uh, any positive emotion is the way to give compliments and evaluations. All right, some overall maxims. Uh, In essence, there are only feelings and needs. Everything else is superfluous. There's only feelings and needs. And what do I mean by that? Well, you could boil down the system even further to eliminating the observations. They're unnecessary. Um, If you could just express your feelings in a way the person could understand why, you don't even need the observations. And even the requests in a truly nonviolent fashion are not as important as making your feelings and needs met. Because if you get someone who is empathic to you, then they will make their own suggestions for requests. So feelings and needs are the essence. And then, you know, of similar phraseology is the only thing people are ever saying is please or thank you, right? So please, you know, when they express themselves badly with a lack of understanding of how to get their feelings and needs met, they're just saying, please, please help me. Please help understand me. Please help me translate or thank you. And that's the positive side. So please and thank you is that it is essentially it. Um, And then uh, in essence, the system boils down to us valuing the other person's needs as much of our own. Now, when you hear all this, it sounds kind of, uh, you know, new age, touchy-feely. Uh, you got to understand that a nonviolent communication is not nice, or at least it doesn't have to be nice. You could be absolutely aggressive about getting your needs met. 
but you're expressing them in a nonviolent fashion. And that's really the key is you're not a pushover. You're not letting yourself get walked over. Uh, NVC is not nice. Giraffe language is not nice. It is just nonviolent. And that is it for today. For complete and detailed show notes of this or any other episode, just go to our website, stimuluspodcast.com. If you want to reach out about one-on-one coaching, you can do it there as well. Just click the header where it says coaching. And until the next time, be well and keep on rocking.